With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! On today's episode of the RV, we are headed down to Memphis, USA, to talk to Susan Cushman. Susan has published seven books in the past five years. So, Susan, welcome to the RV. Thank you, Lucia. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure. So, Susan, seven books in five years is incredible. Where do you think this creativity came from? Well, uh, I think I must have been born with it because I've always either wanted to draw, paint, or write even since I was a little girl. Uh, but I love this season of my life, the, the very most. I turned 70 in March. And uh, so, yeah, and I was a stay-at-home mom when I was raising our, our three, we have three adoptive kids who are grown now. They're 39, 40, and 44. And I have four granddaughters. Uh, and I'm loving being their mother and their grandmother. And I love traveling with my husband, you know, whenever we can. We couldn't a whole lot last year, but okay. I hope, hope to get back to it. And we live right on the Mississippi River in a kind of new urban neighborhood in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm, I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. So I'm Southern. I've only lived in these two places. And so I'm, I'm very much Southern, very much. I've never been to Mississippi, but I know it's very beautiful. So you are a mom of three. Can you tell us about your journey as a mom? Yes. Well, um, I found out I was really young when I found out that I could not have children. And so, and we got married really young. Like I had just turned 19 and my husband was 21. And so we immediately applied to adopt children at that age. And the adoption agency looked at us like we were crazy. And I said, well, do you want to see my surgical reports and see that I can't have kids? I said, no, no, it's just that we don't want to give a baby to somebody that young who just got married. Check back in four years when your husband finishes medical school. He was starting medical school. With four years, we checked back. They said, no, no, no. We want to wait three more years until he finishes his residency training. So we waited seven years to adopt our first child, Jonathan, when he was a baby uh, in Mississippi. And then uh, the Mississippi Children's Home Society, when we said we wanted to adopt more, they said, no, no, no. I mean, I kept, we kept being told, no, no, no. They said, no, you can only have one. There are just too many parents who want children. You can only have one. So we saw a newspaper article about families who were adopting children from South Korea through an international agency called HOLT. 
And so we went to a meeting, a picnic, to meet some of these families in Jackson, Mississippi, who had adopted children from South Korea. And we instantly knew that that's what we wanted to do next. And so we adopted our son, Jason, when, and our daughter, Beth, a year apart. They were each close to three years old. So they were toddlers rather than babies. So, you know, it took see, seven years to get Jonathan, and then several more years to get the next two. Um, but now they are, the younger two are married. Our daughter's married to a black man, and um, they have two mixed race uh, daughters who are African-American Asian. And then our son is married to a Hmong woman, so she's also Asian. So, but, but they have two mixed Asian uh, granddaughters. So the granddaughters are now six, nine, 11, and 12. Just gorgeous families. And then our 44-year-old white boy, as I call him, uh, is getting married in November in New Orleans. So it's a very diverse family, and that's part of the inspiration for my writing and uh, for my work, for what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, they're all so supportive and proud of me, and I love that. That means a lot, you know. Lovely, and I'm happy that you never gave up. We are too. Yeah. And what made you finally sit down and start writing? Well, I think it started on early on with, you know, you don't, well, most people don't just sit down and go, I'm going to write a book and publish it flat. You know, initially you build up an, uh, a platform by publishing short stories or articles or essays in journals and newspapers and magazines to build up a resume so that when you finally have a book ready to publish and you are trying to get an agent or a publisher or an editor, you can say, and hey, and here's my published work. So I did that. I love essays. So I published about a dozen essays in various magazines and journals and all of that as it as I began to build my platform. In the process, I also started a blog and I love blogging. I know podcasts are supposed to be the new thing, yeah. but I hope blogs don't ever go away because I love them. And I started a blog uh, in 2012, no, 2007. And, um, and I had themes for it uh, because uh, Jocelyn Jackson, an author I admire a lot, taught a workshop that I went to um, in 2006 and she encouraged us to start blogs. And she said, don't write just about writing, write about other things that are important in your life. Your readers don't just want to hear, I wrote 2000 words today, blah, blah, blah. You know, they want to know about other things in your life. So I thought I'm gonna have themes. I'm gonna have mental health Mondays, writing on Wednesdays, and faith on Fridays. So uh, I would write about Mental Health Mondays. I would write about everything from uh, depression to um, dysfunctional eating, you name it, just anything mental health-wise. And then Wednesday was my time to write about not only my work, but I did a lot of book reviews on Wednesdays. And then faith on Fridays, I'm convert from the Presbyterian Protestant church of my childhood to the Eastern Orthodox, like the Greek Orthodox uh, church. I'm a convert to that. So I write a lot about Eastern Orthodoxy, about icons. I studied and learned to paint icons before I started writing books. So that was kind of my first late life career. And then I retired from that uh, to write books. But the blog led to my first book. And here's how that happened. Uh, my mother had Alzheimer's. So she was in a nursing home in Jackson, Mississippi, the last eight years of her life. 
And I was here in Memphis, driving round trip constantly, you know, taking care of her, even though I wasn't an in-house caregiver, it was long distance caregiving. And I would come home from each of those trips and I would write a blog post about it. And um, so some of my readers said, why don't you turn those into a book? So my first book became a memoir, Tangles and Plaques, A Mother and Daughter Face Alzheimer's. That was published in January of 2017. And sometimes I will say that was my easiest book to write because the blog's posts were already written, but my hardest book to live, you know, to live that out. And I lost mom in 2016 to Alzheimer's. I keep returning to Alzheimer's in some of my writing, you know, um, because it's just uh, was such a uh, crucial part of my life. And my mother's mother, my grandmother also died, died from that. So that was the beginning of 2017. At the same time, I was writing my first novel, Cherry Bomb, which took six years to write. Partly because um, I had a New York literary agent that was interested in it, and I spent a lot of months trying to change the book because she wanted it different. She wanted hardcore commercial fiction. I wanted to keep it a softer side, Southern literary fiction with even a spiritual side, and she didn't think she could sell it that way, so I had to leave her found a small independent pu publisher in Mississippi, you know, a book deal with HarperCollins or one of the best selling um, big houses, but the integrity of the book was in place. And this small press, they, the editor got what I was trying to do. So I was very proud of that, my first novel, Cherry Bomb. Can you tell us quickly about it? And it's about a little girl who escapes from a religious cult, throws up graffiti as a cry for help, gets a scholarship to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, uh, goes to a monastery where a nun is teaching icon lessons and ends up, there's a mystery involved with her and the art teacher at the college and the nun. So there's a bit of a mystery involved there too. So that one's called Cherry Bomb. Oh. And yeah, so both of those came out in 2017. And while, when with writing, here's what happens. It's hurry up and wait. It's kind of a phrase you hear in the military because you've got to meet their deadlines and then you have to wait until the next deadline. And that's the way writing and publishing is. You've got to meet each deadline for each thing they need. And then you might wait for weeks or months till the next thing happens uh, with the publishing house. So I can't just sit around and wait. You know, I have to be doing something. So while those two were being published in 2017, I decided to um, edit an anthology because I had been published in four anthologies. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to put one together? So uh, I published a Second Blooming, Becoming the Women We're Meant to Be. And it has essays by 24 women. It has a foreword by Anne Lamott. And it was published by Mercer University Press in 2017. Wait, that's the same year. Yeah, that was published the same year as the memoir and the first novel. All three of those were published in 2017. So, you know, that was so much fun that I wanted to keep going. Putting together an anthology is a lot easier than writing a book for me because it's about organizing and I like to organize things and people. So I did another anthology in 2018, and this one is called Southern Writers on Writing. And how many authors participated? 
I invited 13 men and 13 women, all Southern authors, to contribute essays, and the University Press of Mississippi published it in 2018, which was a whole lot of fun. And uh, so my publisher for Cherry Bomb, the novel, is from a small town in Mississippi, and he asked me to go on a little book tour through the small towns in Mississippi, speaking about my book, to friends of the library groups. These are groups at each little library. And I did that. And after I visit, I first I researched each town. Because even though I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, that's the capital. That I had never been to most of these small towns with really cool names like Eupora and Aberdeen and Pontotoc. And so I researched the towns, learned a lot about their history and even famous people who live there. I went to the town, I spoke to the group, uh, visited some landmark places, and then I came home. And of course, the first thing I thought to do is write a blog post about it. But instead, something happened, something clicked in my brain and said, what if, what if instead of writing blog posts, what if you write short stories? Then you can make stuff up. And I thought, I don't even read short stories. Why would I do that? I'm talking to my muse on my shoulder that's talking to me. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to create a fictional author. It was me, but I named her Adele, and I'm going to have her go on this journey. And in each town, I'm going to have her meet someone who is struggling with issues that have affected my life. Alzheimer's, cancer, alcoholism, homelessness, sexual abuse, you know, issues that all have touched my life in one way or another. And so she helps these people in each of these towns. And that's how my short story collection, Friends of the Library came about. And it was published uh, in 2019. And um, so once again, some readers who read that, just like the blog readers said, turn that into a book. The short story readers said, there's one short story in there that we want to know more about. We want you to turn it into a book. And that was a short story about John and Mary Margaret. That's my latest. I, have, I need to stop and take a breath and let you talk. <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You give me the microphone and I won't shut up. <laughs> no problem. You are the star of the show. But I, that's what I was going to ask you. Your second novel, but seventh book you've worked on is called John and Mary Margaret. Right. Can you tell us quickly what this book is about? I saw the cover and I just love it. Yes, this is the cover. And there's a picture. The building on the cover is the Lyceum building on the campus of Ole Miss 
the University of Mississippi, where much of the book is set. And of course, you have a black man and a white girl holding hands on the cover because John and Mary Margaret, he is a black boy from Memphis, Tennessee. She is a white girl from Jackson, Mississippi. They fall in love on the Ole Miss campus in 1966, which wasn't a good idea <laughs> culturally. This is just three years after the James Meredith incident happened when the, he was the first black student even allowed on campus. This was just three years later. And um, from a personal point of view, my husband was there in 1966 as a freshman, but I didn't get to school there till 69. So I set part of it a little bit earlier than I got there. But um, but Mary Margaret and I have a lot in common because um, I set part of it in the Tridelt sorority house, which was my sorority house, you know, but um, they they figure out pretty quickly. John is is uh, is he's beat up by some white boys on campus for trying to date Mary Margaret. You know, he takes her to a football game, and when he's taking her back to the sorority house afterwards, the 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 other couples, the, the other dates that are the boys are taking the girls in for the night, uh, they see him and uh, they beat him up. You know, and so he and Mary Margaret break up. It's like, this is not going to work. And he becomes really active in the Black Student Union. And he's in pre-law and eventually wants to become a lawyer, wants to become a judge, wants to help in the continuing civil rights movement, you know, that has blossomed. He wants to go back to Memphis where he's from and do that someday. Because, see, his father is a football coach at an all-Black high school where his brother was a star, where he also played. And they expected him to go to an all-Black college and play on a football scholarship. He didn't want to. He wanted to go to the University of Mississippi into a different culture. He wanted to study law there, which I think took a lot of courage for him to do that, you know. And meanwhile, Mary Margaret's just living her life um, separately from him for the next few years and falls in love with a white boy from Memphis and they get married. And so they're living their life in Memphis. You know, she's a school teacher and her husband is a businessman. And John, meanwhile, uh, falls in love with a black student, you know, while he's in law school, they also end up in Memphis. So like for 35 years, the book has their parallel lives which are completely different, but all set against the backdrop of 50 years of civil rights history, whether it be part of it in Jackson, Mississippi and part of it in Memphis. And they meet 35 years later again, because, and here comes the Alzheimer's again, their spouses are in the same nursing home at this point in, in Memphis. And um, Mary, Mary Margaret's husband has Alzheimer's, and John's wife has Lewy body disease. Lewy body disease is a type of early onset dementia. It's similar to, but different than Alzheimer's. And one of my best friends died from it two years ago. And then my mother died from Alzheimer's. So I use things from real life in these books, but Mary Margaret's story is, that's not me, that's not my story. Um, and I'm not sure where it came from in my head. You know, it just, it just happened. And um, so that's, pretty much what that story is about. It's interesting because we can learn about the historical events of the time. It covers interracial romance, racism, Alzheimer. And in the beginning of our conversation, I asked you where 
this creativity comes from, but I believe it comes from your observation and also your life experience. A lot of it really does, yeah. Especially with my kids, you know, and um, last summer, not only was I, was I stuck at home because of COVID, you know, but that's not a bad thing for a writer to be alone and have a lot of time. But with the, um, a lot of the racial protests that were going on in the country, uh, it kind of brought all that to my mind. Growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, I never considered myself a racist. But there's a whole lot that's just born in you, that's just taught by your culture. And it's hard to say that there wasn't some, that, some aspect of that in me. And so, even though, like I said, I have a black son-in-law, mixed race granddaughters, I love them, uh, but I still began to have more of an awakening last summer. And one thing that fed into that was a book I read that I think is phenomenal, and it's Cast, C-A-S-T-E, by the Pulitzer Prize winning writer Isabel Wilkerson. And she takes the um, issues of caste and race, and she parallels what's going on in the United States with what happened in Nazi Germany and in India. I was 70 years old, no COVID vaccine. It just wouldn't have been safe for me. And so, you know, I'm telling that to my husband. He's saying, well, protest with your voice. Write this. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And that's part of why I wrote John and Mary Margaret was Mrs. me speaking out. That's what it is. And I was really lucky in June when the book came out three months ago today on June 8th. Uh -huh. um, COVID was kind of calming down a little bit. And I was able to go on a two week road trip book tour. And I drove 2,300 miles from Memphis through Atlanta, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, New Orleans, and back up through Mississippi. And I had nine events speaking at various places about John and Mary Margaret. So that was, I was very fortunate to have the option to do that. I love virtual events too. I mean, I've done, I've, I've done interviews for a dozen podcasts and, and a lot of Zoom groups and that sort of thing. But I also love being able to go in person in June. I was lucky. Yeah, after that, many events started being postponed or even canceled. And Susan, your first book is a memoir called Tangles and Plagues. A mother and daughter face Alzheimer's. What is the significance behind this title? Well, um, the reason I call it Tangles and Plaques, the book, you know, Tangles and Plaques are the term for what happens in the brain that, that starts to destroy uh, cells in the brain. But as I say in my introduction to the book, sometimes those Tangles and Plaques are also in our relationships. And my relationship with my mother growing up was difficult. She was verbally and emotionally abusive to me um, all of my life. And um, I understand, I came to understand some of that later in coming and remembering some things about her father who was abusive. And, you know, I began to understand why she was the way she was. But what happened as she, as her Alzheimer's progressed was she got nicer. She quit being abusive to me. She became sweet. She started saying nice things to me instead of telling me that I was fat and my hair was ugly, which I'd heard from, from her my whole life. She started saying, oh, I love that blouse you have on. Oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, I like your new haircut. I had never heard anything like that positive from her growing up. So it made my, my caregiving of her, it made it so much easier those final few years. She forgot who I was eventually. 
you know, the last few years, she didn't know who I was, but I would show up at the nursing home and she would go, oh, hey, you, you know, and she didn't know who I was, um, but she would be sweet and she was happy in her own world, in her own small, different world. I mean, not everybody's like that. For some people, Alzheimer's stages, people are not nicer. They can, someone who's been sweet can become mean. That's just what the disease does sometimes. But um, you know, like I said, her mother had Alzheimer's and actually was in the same nursing home in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, 20 years earlier or 30 years earlier, whatever that was. Yeah. So, of course, I worry about myself that I could be third generation um, Alzheimer's, but keep writing and keep busy and, and try to eat healthy and do things that'll, that will help, you know. Yeah. And as you were talking about your childhood, what advice would you give? to your younger self? You know, that's interesting because, I mean, everybody has regrets. Maybe they wish they had done differently. But um, I know a lot of young writers. I know a lot of people who are publishing books in their 20s and 30s while they're raising their family. And I waited to do that. Um, and I, I don't think I would advise that younger self to do it differently, actually, because I was a stay-at-home mom. Now, my husband was really busy with his career, so I was the soccer mom. I was the house the kids came to after school, and I fixed refreshments and got their supplies for their science fair projects. You know, I was uh, taking them to their soccer practices and soccer games, and I loved that era. Uh, and I, I didn't think that I could do that at the same time, use my creativity to be writing you know, I mean, I could do a little freelance writing, but I didn't think I could pour it into a book. And the other side of that is I didn't have the lived experience yet, experiences yet that I have now. You know, I mean, these these seven books uh, that I have published in the last five years, I couldn't have written them 50 years ago because I hadn't lived through what I've lived through now. So I really don't have a whole lot of different um, things that I would say to my younger self. And if you have to describe yourself in three words, what they would be? Well, that's hard to do without sounding sounding prideful. I mean, I'm going to say good things about myself. I'm not going to say bad things. <laughs> but I, I think um, maybe my best features are that I am creative uh, in different areas, whether it be for painting or for writing or for organizing something. I'm creative. I'm, um, I'm energetic. And... Um, and I'm organized, I'm organized and hardworking. So my work ethic, I think, would be my third thing, because um, I don't have to be doing this. I'm not making a living with these books. If anybody thinks that you can make a living uh, writing books, um, I think you only can do that if you are a New York Times bestseller, you know, or an international bestseller, because the amount of money you make off of each book is such a small amount. You know, you you have to sell thousands and millions of copies. And I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because I love it. I love writing. I love reading. I love sharing my ideas with people. I love, I love speaking and hearing back. Like I met with a book club last night that had all read John and Mary Margaret as their book for the month. And it's so much fun to hear their feedback and to talk with them, you know, but after they'd read the book. So, um, yeah, I think it takes energy. Uh, and but I love doing it and I don't have to do it so that's that makes it even better and congratulations for your success and Susan where can we find you and your books 
Uh, well, my website is just my name. It's just www.susancushman.com. And with the same name, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And within my website is my blog. So, uh, and my books are anywhere that books are sold. I always like to put in a word for independent booksellers because they are just heroes to us authors. But if, if someone doesn't have a bookstore in their town, uh, you can certainly order the book online. Awesome. So, Susan, again, congratulations for this great work that you were doing. Keep writing and come back. And I'm looking forward to reading John and Margaret. I enjoyed talking with you very much. I'm impressed with what you're doing with your podcast. So I'm going to go listen to some more episodes. Oh, thank you very, very much. Thank you, too. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.